You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The miracle of the nation of Israel. And hopefully it will become apparent why we're referring uh, to the miracle of the nation of Israel. Or perhaps we might term it as uh, the miracle of the survival of the Jewish people. Okay, so I'm going to start with a quote from somebody called Rabbi Yaakov Emdem uh, from the 18th century. Okay, so he said, by my life, the survival of the Jewish people is a greater miracle than the splitting of the sea. So what's he talking about? Well, when he's talking about the splitting of the sea, he's, he's, his mind is going back to Exodus. And you remember when the Jewish people, they left the land of Egypt and they got to the Red Sea and they, were, they had a problem because they had to get across it. And we know that God caused this miracle to happen. And they, he caused the waters to split for dry ground to appear. And the nation was able to pass through to the other side and they uh, were unaffected. And that led their way to leave Egypt and go towards the promised land. And as we read the, the Bible in the Old Testament, we, we frequently have this referred to, where many of the nations around talk about uh, the miracle of the Red Sea. Your God caused the, the, the sea to be split and for you to walk through. There's constant reminders of it. Well, what this rabbi is, is saying, which we might find a little bit surprising, is actually there's a greater miracle than that. Survival of the Jewish people, that they're still here today as a recognized people, is a greater miracle. Okay, so the context for what we're talking about, we got partway there with the reading, but we're going to carry on a little bit, verses 10 to 12, okay, from Isaiah chapter 43. So this is what God says to the nation of Israel. Yeah, go on, let's use that one. Thank you, John. Uh, Pete, easy mistake to make. Sure, it's never been done before, is it? No. Isaiah 43, okay, verse 10. So we're on page 1043, if you've got one of the red Bibles. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no saviour. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. So what's the key word there? It comes up twice, once at the beginning, once at the end of that passage. It's the word witnesses. You are my witnesses, God tells the Jewish people. So in other words, they're specially chosen so that they can show the people around them that God exists. As God said there, that you may know and believe me. And understand that I am he and that there are no other gods. I've chosen you as a people to witness to the fact that I am God. I am the Lord. Beside me, there is no savior. So that's the context. And God is still using his people, the Jews, as his witnesses today. So that's the context for what we want to talk about this evening. So what we have to do then is, is just take a couple of steps back, retrace a little bit of the history of Israel to understand why this is the case. And then we'll come on 
uh, to more recent times. Okay, so let's just go through a, a bit of a potted history of the nation of Israel, the, the Jewish people. Okay, so it all starts with this man, Abraham. I'm sure all of us in the room have heard of Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. He was called by God. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, verses 5 to 7. Abraham was called by God. God said to him, right, Abraham, you're a special person. I don't want you to believe in those foreign gods anymore. I want you to follow me, and I want you to come into a land that I'm going to promise you. So what did he do? Well, he took his wife, Sarai, and he took Lot, his brother's son, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they got to the land, God said, right, see all the land around you. You can have this. This is yours. This is your inheritance. And all your descendants, they're going to have this land. So promises were made to this faithful man. Abraham was chosen because of his faith, because he believed in something he couldn't see. He believed that God could perform what he said he would. Abraham was also chosen because he knew that he was a man who had passed down what he was taught by God, the promises that he was given by God to his children. And that was so important to God because then that would spread from generation to generation. So Abraham, very special man. So they were given this land. And if we just skip a little bit over the history, uh, we remember what happened. So a little bit later in Genesis, they end up in the land of Egypt. Remember, there was a famine at the end of Genesis and all the family of, of Jacob, his 12 sons and their sons and daughters, they all go down into Egypt to escape the famine and they, they set up in a land of Goshen. And what God says to them, he says, right, I, you're going to come out of that land. So he brings them out of the land. And that's what happens through Moses, another really famous Bible character. And then they wander in the wilderness, don't they, for 40 years. Now, what does God say to them? In Deuteronomy 1 verse 8, God says, well, that land, you can still go in it if you want. So he says, I've set the land before you. Go in, take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them and their offspring after them. And a little bit later, just before they go into the land, God gives them a warning. He says, look, it's up to you. You've got a choice here. You listen to me. You listen to what I command you. Then I can bless you beyond all measure. However, if you don't listen to me, disobey me, then you're going to suffer the consequences. So it was up to them how they behaved, what they did. Now, again, just to summarize a whole load of history, what we find with the nation of Israel is that they don't obey God. And because of that, they're going to suffer the consequences. And God says, well, do you know what? Because you disobeyed me, you're going to go into captivity. You're going to be taken away. And in 740 BC, the Assyrians, they come down from the north and they take 10 of the tribes and they're scattered throughout the whole world. So that's a really big chunk of the Jewish people scattered throughout the whole world eventually. And they never come back to the land or maybe one or two, but certainly not uh, as a big group. And then a little bit later on, so we've got a couple of tribes left in the south now. Same thing happens. God says, do you know what? You've gone too far, and now you're going to have to be punished. So the Babylonians this time, they take 
uh, the Jews, the, the tribe of Judah, they take them away. They go into the land of Babylon and they're there for 70 years. And they're only there for 70 years because God always keeps his promise. And he says, right, OK, the time has come. The 70 years is up. Now you can go back to the land. And we can think God is hoping, isn't he? He's really hoping that now they're really going to try their best. They've suffered uh, because of the consequences of their actions. So they go back into the land. And God is hoping that they're going to really turn themselves around. But of course, again, they don't. They're human. So they, they disobey God again. So what does God do then? Well, he sends his son, Jesus, with the hopes, again, of, of turning this nation around. But again, they disobey. But when Jesus was there and he was talking to the people, he also gave a warning. Okay, Luke chapter 21. It was a prophecy that Jesus gave about things that were going to come upon the earth. Let's turn this one up. Let's go to Luke chapter 21 just to get your fingers moving. Okay, Luke 21. So we're into the New Testament now. And we're on page, if you're in this Bible, we're on page 1513. Right, hopefully you're still with me because I went through that pretty fast. Um, it's just a bit of a, a potted history of where, where we are to now. Okay, and it all provides the context. So Jesus gives a warning. He says, these things are going to happen. So Luke chapter 21, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. So Jesus warned the Jews that punishment for their disobedience would come about because they were going to reject Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But was that it? Well, no. Because God still counts the Jews as his witnesses. Okay? So AD 70 comes along. This is what Jesus was prophesying about. And the Romans come and they sack Jerusalem. They burn it to the ground. And so the Jews are then scattered to the four corners of the earth. That was in AD 70. Now, was that it? Well, look what Jesus says. Okay. Notice that little word at the end there, that word until. So Jesus doesn't say, well, that's it. You know, you're done. You're dusted. Kaput. He says, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So that's a message of hope, isn't it? That this isn't going to last forever. Their scattering isn't going to last forever. And this is what Paul says in the book of Romans a little uh, some years later. He says, I ask you then, has God rejected his people? Has God changed his mind? As he said to the Jews, well, do you know what? You're no longer my witnesses. You weren't very good. So I'm going to change my mind. Well, Paul says, absolutely not. He says, by no means. For I myself am an Israelite descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So Israel, the Jews, were scattered because of their disobedience. 
but they still remain God's people. And the New Testament confirms that God still cares for his people. He hasn't disowned them. Now then, now we go back a little bit in time because of God, of course, God knew that all this was going to happen. Was it the case that that was it then? Well, it wasn't because Jeremiah, in his prophecy, uh, records these words that were given to him by God. Let's turn this up as well. Jeremiah chapter 30. So remember, Israel is scattered. And we're going to go to page uh, 1134. Okay, 1134. Or you could just read it from the screen if you want to. Okay, so it says, Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of the nations whom I scattered you, among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. So then, let's just recap. The Jews, the nation of Israel, have been scattered to the four corners of the world, okay? It culminated in AD 70 when the last of the original Jewish people or, or the last of the nation of Israel were in that land and they were gone. Was that it? Well, this prophecy suggests that God was going to bring them back together. Look what he says there. I'm going to make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you. So lots of the nations around you, they're going to disappear, but you're not. I'm going to save you. I'm still going to look after you because you are still my witnesses. Now, we're talking about a time period now. We skip on to 2,000 years, okay? Because that's when this prophecy starts to be fulfilled, when the Jews start to return to the land. And that is the miracle. The fact that throughout hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, as we'll see, despite many, many, many setbacks, when most other nations would have completely disappeared, most other peoples would be gone. The Jews have remained and survive and thrive in this day and age. And that is the miracle. And there can be only one reason for that, and that God is behind it. His plan and his purpose is working out. Now, I'm going to show you a video now because there's um, a video that I came across. Put this down towards the speaker. Hopefully you'll pick up the sound. But this this rabbi who now you're going to hear, I think he probably explains it better than I can. Okay. So if you... I'll just play... TorahCafe.com Everyone hear that? Uh, why are there still Jews around? After all, <laughs> uh, every nation in the world has tried to destroy us, either physically, often, or spiritually through assimilation and intermarriage. And yet, 
we still hang around. And not only hang around, you know, one could hang around by living in a cave in Afghanistan. But no, we continue to flourish, to contribute to the world. Even Jews that are very far away from the Torah continue to win Nobel Prizes and uh, provide the world with all sorts of wonderful technologies, literature, philosophy, science, medicine, economics. You know, anti-Semites like to say that Jews control the world. But let me tell you a little secret. In many ways, they do. Because our influence is beyond any type of rational understanding. We are a minute percentage of the world. And yet the impact of Jews and Judaism on the world is incalculable. In every single sphere, even sometimes in negative spheres like communism and psychoanalysis and, and the like. A great rabbi, Rav Yaakov Emden, remarked around 250 years ago, that the miracle of Jewish survival is greater than the exodus of Egypt, the 10 plagues, and the splitting of the Red Sea. You know, people often say, why doesn't God do miracles today? You know, why doesn't he split the Red Sea? If only he would take, you know, Jews out of Egypt like he did, then I would believe in God. Ravaka Vemden's response is, the miracle of us being here and let me point out, that was before there was a Holocaust. Now we factor in the Holocaust and pogroms and all sorts of other things. is a greater miracle than even the exodus of Egypt. Indeed, Mark Twain wrote a very famous article in the 1890s about the Jewish people. He was accused of anti-Semitism and he wanted to defend himself. And Mark Twain wrote an article, kind of some of my best friends are Jewish type of thing. But he made the point that every nation in history were world empires, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Persian Empire. They wanted to destroy us. And these were the most powerful, magnificent civilizations that walked the earth. And they are all in the dust. They are gone. They are simply memories in history. And the little nation they wanted to destroy is still here. Indeed, it is a miracle. If you ask me why, how do I explain it rationally? The short answer is there is no rational explanation. And that is precisely the proof that God must have created us or designated us for a special purpose. There has to be a reason because otherwise it makes no sense. There was a famous British historian, Arnold Toynbee, uh, who wrote his works in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And he wrote a multi-volume study of historical civilizations. I believe he analyzed 50 civilizations in his classic work, A Study of History. And what he tried to do is he tried to analyze all of these civilizations and find the common factors that were responsible for their success, their rise, and their decline, and their failure. Imagine the massive information he had to master. 50 different civilizations, the Hittites, the Assyrians, the Canaanites, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Persians, and many more. And he was able to brilliantly identify the factors that explain all of these civilizations, what makes them tick, what makes them decline. But there was one nation that didn't fit. He couldn't explain 
why there were Jewish people. Now, people say that Toynbee was an anti-Semite, but you know, I can't really blame him. If you have this wonderful theory that explains 49 out of 50 civilizations and you're ready to do a 2000 page book and it's the Jewish people that kind of prevent your theory from coming out, yeah, I would be mad at the Jews too. They ruined my book. But he couldn't explain it because all of the factors that normally create a cohesive, enduring civilization, the Jewish people didn't have common language. We didn't have for so many years. So many Jews didn't speak Hebrew. Common territory. We were in exile for so many years. We weren't living in the land of Israel. Why should there be cohesiveness? Why should Jews survive as Jews when they go to America and they go to all these different countries? So because of this, Toynbee coined an interesting phrase. Toynbee called the Jewish people a fossil. He basically said there is no explanation. It's like finding a dinosaur, you know, in the forest that somehow survived. And this was taken as an anti-Semitic remark. And in the 1960s, uh, Yaakov Herzog, the son of uh, Israel's first chief rabbi, who was a diplomat, was debating Toynbee on college campuses. This was a famous uh, collegiate debate. The Herzog-Toynbee debate, whether Jews are a fossilized people or a vibrant people. But I would like to defend Toynbee over here in the following way. If Toynbee means to say that there is no logical historical reason for there to be a Jewish people. And that's what he means by the term fossil. I would say he's right. We are not logical. Our existence is an absurdity. It shouldn't be. It doesn't make sense. And that itself is proof of the divine mission that the Jewish people must, must have. The great Maral of Prague writes, that this is why the covenant that God makes with Abraham is the Brit Milah, the circumcision that is done on the eighth day. What is the significance of the number eight in Jewish numerology? Maral says, God created the natural world in six days and rested on the Shabbat. So the cycle of seven represents nature, physical nature and the culmination of the Shabbat. The number eight is a relationship that is above nature. It transcends nature. It is not within the bounds of the probabilistic deterministic world that God created. The covenant God has with the Jewish people is something that is totally above nature. All I can say is there is no logic. And the fact that something has no logical explanation is in itself the greatest proof that it is a gift of the divine and if God has made the miracle of the Jewish people, then we have to ask ourselves some very, very hard questions. Why? And our answer, the answer that Judaism believes is that God kept us alive and God chose us to be a light unto the world, to live the teachings of the Torah, to exemplify morality, compassion, goodness, commitment, dedication, to the Jewish people and to some degree to the entire world. And if we don't live up to our mission, and if we don't try to accomplish the reason that we're here, there is indeed a question, why are there Jewish people at all? So he who owes his existence to a miracle, owes it to God to find out why that miracle took place. And the answer will of course be in the Torah itself. Okay, so I hope you found that interesting. I certainly did. Um, and, and of course, what he says at the end, 
I think ties in with what we were saying. Well, actually, the reason is there that we read in is Isaiah 43, isn't it? The reason why the Jews are still existing today is because they are God's people. They are God's witnesses. They are uh, to be there as a, as a light, if you like, to the world, to, to bring people to God. Their, their miraculous uh, existence uh, is there to, to, to prove what God says in Isaiah 43. So hopefully you found that interesting. He probably said in much less time what I've been trying to explain in about 20 minutes. Um, but one thing he said that w- was really interesting, and I, I've, I've hinted at it as well, is the fact that you, you think about it through the history of the Jewish people, okay? Go back the last 2,000 years or so. Um, and w- think of some of the big events that stand out. Uh, and really, the big one that really stands out is the Holocaust, isn't it? And the fact that Hitler tried to destroy the Jewish people. And we might think, well, yes, they survived that. But of course, that wasn't just it, okay? Now, you may have seen this before. There's, there's lists like this all over the place, okay? Sure. No, I think we've done that. So if you have a look at a different timeline of different persecutions of the Jewish people, then it's quite staggering, okay? The number of times that people have tried to destroy the Jews and yet God has kept them alive so that they may be his witnesses. So I'm not going to go through these in any detail. All I'm going to do is scroll through them so you can just see the scale of the atrocities that this people have had to endure and have survived, okay? So it goes through to the Dark Ages and, you know, some of these things, I've got no idea what they are. Maybe if you're interested, you could look them up. Um, Okay, through to the early Middle Ages where we've got Enslaves, forced conversions into different religions, burnings, bannings on them moving, massacres, burning alives, or burnings alive, confiscation of property, massacres, confiscation, mob attacks. Okay, now we're moving to the latter Middle Ages, expulsions, attacks, murders, then into the Renaissance. Okay, we've got various expulsions, and as we carry on, mob attacks, expulsions. And notice where these are. These aren't concentrated in one area. This is mainly throughout Europe, places that some of us might have, might have, might have been to and visited. Terrible things happening. Okay, torture and execution, expulsions. Now into the 16th century, 17th century, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. I think you've probably got the point by now, haven't you? Okay. But I think it's a really forceful point. But actually, it is a miracle that these people have survived. That the Jewish people witness to the fact that God exists, that God keeps his promises. Okay. So when we come now to more modern history and we come into the last 150 years, well, what have, what have we seen? Well, up until about 150 years ago, this was the situation where, where the Jews were scattered through the four corners of the earth. They didn't have a homeland. They had various different places where they may congregate together as small communities, but there certainly wasn't a concentration of them. So where was this fulfillment of those words that we read in Jeremiah that God would regather them into their land? Well, it all started in the late 19th century. 
And this was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Now, if we go to Ezekiel 37, let's go to Ezekiel 37. Have I done something? Yeah. John, you did something, didn't you? That's all right. Is there, I, everyone else can hear that, can't they? It's not just me. That's a relief. Okay. Ezekiel 37. So here's a prophecy that God makes, and he's talking to Ezekiel, and he says in verse 3, okay, sorry, we're on page 1,252. Ezekiel 37, verse 3, and he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So what is that talking about? Well, just go back into verse 1, and Ezekiel is seeing a vision, and he's taken down into a valley. In verse 1, he says that he can see all these bones in this valley, dry bones. What does a dry bone signify? Well, it's death, isn't it? Okay. Verse two, he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many. So lots of dry bones. These lots of dry bones were very dry. So verse three, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh Lord, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. So this is talking about the nation of Israel. They were like a field, like a valley of dry bones. They were nowhere as a people, nowhere as a nation, scattered, dead as a nation. What does God say? Verse five, thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, Put breath in you. You shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So that ties us back in with what we saw in uh, Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses. I will make you live. And people will know that I am God, that I exist, that I'm true, that you can listen to me, that you should listen to my son, that you should read my word because of you, nation of Israel, that you are my witnesses, that I'm doing a great work through you. Okay, let's just skip over a couple of things here. Okay, we've done that one as well. Okay, so what happened was 14th of May, 1948, very famous event in world history, the reestablishment of the State of Israel. It took a bit of pain to get to this point, but over the previous 50 years, more and more Jews started to return to the land. And can you imagine having your Bible open and seeing Jews returning to the land and thinking, hang on a minute, this is exactly what God has prophesied. God said that this was going to happen. This nation is being brought together again. So can you imagine the excitement being there on the 14th of May, 1948, when the nation of Israel was established? Bible prophecy is fulfilled right before your very eyes. How is that going to make you think? Well, surely if you were doubting, you'd think, wow, that's incredible. This truly is a miracle. This people, this nation were nowhere. Now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they've become a people again. Now, we've looked at Ezekiel 37. If we were to go on into Ezekiel 38, and this is, this is a talk for a whole other time, 
But if you just follow this uh, consequent, what's the word? Um, not consequentially. Sequentially. Yeah, that'll do. There's another one as well I was thinking of. Um, but if you follow it sequentially, okay, Ezekiel 37, Israel is, is made into a nation again. Okay, then we come over to Ezekiel 38, and this is a prophecy that is all about what's going to happen before the time when Jesus comes back to the earth. And that's what this is all leading towards. And then if you were to carry on again into Ezekiel 39 and Ezekiel 40 to 48, it's talking about the age of the kingdom. So think about it. You've got the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 38. 37, the regathering of Israel. Ezekiel 38 talks about an invasion of Israel from a northern power. Okay. Now, I'm sure that there's going to be many talks given from this platform that will explain what that's talking about. But there is so much proof to say that that is happening right now. Okay. We are in this time of Ezekiel 38 when God is working among the nations to bring his plan and his purpose together. Why? Because he wants to set up his kingdom upon this earth. He wants his glory to fill the earth. That is what God's plan is all about. And he has used his people to show to, to those who want to listen, who want to understand his word. He's using his people to bring them to him so that we might know that he exists, that we might know that he has a plan and a purpose with this earth. So that's happened. We're about here, okay? So that's what this is all leading towards. It's all part of God's plan and God's purpose. So let's just recap what, what we've thought about this evening. We've thought about the fact that God called Abraham, a very special man, and through Abraham, this nation of Israel was established. And God gave Abraham some wonderful promises and said, I want you to pass these down to your children and to your children's children. And those promises, God has said, well, anyone can have part in those promises. And they're all leading to this kingdom of God that will be established upon this earth. And remember, God said to his people, Israel, you are going to be my people so that others can know that I exist. And we've seen that even though People have tried to wipe the nation of Israel off the map, tried to completely eradicate the Jews. They have survived. And as our rabbi friend has shown us, it's a miracle. It's an absurdity. And the only way to explain that is the fact that God is in control, that God knows exactly what he's doing. So what we have is a God that we can trust in, a God that we should listen to, a God who has a wonderful plan and a purpose. So hopefully that's been of use to you this evening. As I said, I'm sure from this platform, there'll be many other talks that will talk about the establishment of God's kingdom and, and what that means and, and how we might be able to have a part in that wonderful age. Thank you for listening.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.